When a child is four years old, he says proudly, my dad knows everything about everything. When he is seven, he says, dad knows almost everything about everything. When he is 12, he says, well, it's only natural that dad doesn't know everything. When he is 14, he says, dad is old-fashioned. When he is 21, he says, dad is hopelessly out of step with the times. When he is 25, he says, maybe dad does know something about a few things. When he is 35, he says, maybe we ought to call dad and check out this with him. When he is 50, he says, I wonder what dad would have thought of this. And when he is 65, he says, I sure wish I could talk to dad again. You know, uh, we're talking about fatherhood today, and it, fatherhood has immense potential. Uh, I think it's, uh, and, and I realized in talking to a group of this size, uh, that we've had all kinds of experiences uh, with our fathers, uh, our biological fathers or adopted fathers, and, and for some of you, it wasn't good. Uh, for some of you, it wasn't a, a positive experience, and, and there was some damage done. For others of you, maybe you had, had a great dad. You know, I titled the sermon this week, How to Be a DMD, and you might be thinking, what in the world is that? Well, I can't read the initials WMD ever again without thinking of what they came to mean in the early 2000s, when it was rumored that Iraq was building weapons of mass destruction. Maybe I should have called this sermon, uh, what kind of DMD are you if you're a father? See, I believe you can be either a difference-making dad or you can be a destruction-making dad. And what makes the difference? What determines which one will be? I think it's our model. I I think it's our truth that we parent by. Obviously, I think it's the biblical role in fatherhood to lead and to make a difference in the lives of your kids. And so that's what we're going to think about today. We're looking at just one verse in the Bible, Ephesians 6, 4, but it is a powerful, profound verse. Before we get there, I want to tell you that this was written not in a vacuum, but it was written in a a culture that was dominated by the Roman view of the world. And much like Isaac was talking about crucifixion in the Roman world, uh, I would tell you uh, that in the Roman world, they had a law called patria potestas, which meant the father's power. Men who were Roman citizens were given absolute power, uh, property rights over their families. By law, the children and the wife were regarded as the patriarch's personal chattel, and he could do with them what he wished. A displeased father could disown his children, sell them into slavery, or even kill them if he wished without any legal penalty. When a child was born, the baby was placed between the father's feet. If the father picked up the baby, the child stayed in the home. If he turned and walked away, the child was either left to die or sold at auction. Seneca, a contemporary of the Apostle Paul, Describe Roman policy with regard to unwanted animals. We slaughter a fierce ox, that is an ox that is aggressive toward people. We strangle a mad dog. We plunge a knife into a sick cow. Children born weak or deformed, we drown. Into that culture, 
we see the radical revolutionary teaching of the Apostle Paul. The radical revolutionary teaching which still can have a dramatic impact on us today, we who are fathers. Let me say at the beginning, there are no perfect fathers except our Heavenly Father. So I am not at all bringing condemnation. In fact, just like you, dads, I struggle. I make mistakes. But I also would tell you I believe we can do better. I believe our children deserve better. I believe we need to do everything we can to be the kind of biblical fathers that God wants us to be. Because the stakes are immense. So let's look at Ephesians 6.4. And I want to tell you, I've broken down this verse into four instructions to dads. If you want to be a difference-making dad, uh, there are four instructions. One is negative, that is, don't do this. The other three are positive. The first thing I think this verse tells us is don't exasperate your children. You know, exasperate's one of those words that kind of sounds like what it is. Exasperate means to to provoke to anger. It means to to make your to agitate your kids. Uh, Ephesians six four says, "Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Don't purposely make them angry. Don't purposely stir them up." And we then need, perhaps need some under, understanding, some instruction about how do we do that. As I think about parenting, as I've observed and, and learned through the years, I can identify four ways that we can exasperate our kids. These are things you don't want to do. First, I think we can exasperate our kids by inconsistency. Inconsistency. I believe as I've watched many kids, including four of my own, grow up, I believe that kids really desire structure. Even if they don't act like it, even if as they get into the preteen and, and teen years, they say, I don't want a curfew, I, I think they, they want that structure. And even more, they want it consistently applied. That is, it doesn't change with the mood of the parents. In our culture today, this is increasingly frowned upon, and it especially requires you to have some values, you to have some objective truth that you rest and build your structure in. What do I mean by that? We live in a, a culture where relativism has run rampant. What is relativism? Uh, you believe what you believe, and I'll believe what I believe. And even more, since it's relative, I may come to the point where I believe something different because it, it, it's all relative. The truth of God's word, God's principles don't change and I believe God wants to grow us in Christ dads and by the way I, this is purposely I think specifically written to fathers you know I, I think the principles can apply and, and be used by moms as well that I'm sharing today but I think it's purposely written to fathers because fathers we so often get our self-worth, we get, we get tied up in thinking about what we do for a living. We identify by the productive behavior, our jobs, our careers, and then we, we don't prioritize our kids. It's been a challenge for my kids because if that happens with me, it's, I mean, they're like uh, second to the church, to God's work, 
And so I've always tried to, to show them that. I don't think I've always succeeded. Uh, but it's something for us dads to hear that we have a choice and we need to make sure our kids understand that. That we are being consistent in our values. We're being consistent in the truth that we stand in. Uh, that it doesn't change depending on how we feel about that t- today. The behaviors we expect from our kids, uh, the attitudes we expect from our kids are consistent with God's teaching, with God's values. Inconsistency will drive you crazy. You think about it. It drives you crazy if you have inconsistent behavior from people around you, your boss, your employees, your parents, your children. So we don't want to do that, dads, with our kids. We want to be as consistent, as steadfast as we can. Secondly, I think you can exasperate your kids by what I call helicoptering. Helicoptering. And helicoptering becomes a problem, especially as our kids get older. Uh, Before I came here in 2006 to to be the minister here, senior minister, I I was the vice president down at Atlanta Christian College, which is now Point University. And um, we used to see this happen as I was over student development. Uh, We'd have folks come in to bring their kids to college, 18, 19, 20-year-olds, and we would have inevitably a few parents that wanted to be involved in every decision. They, They wanted to to, to figure out and, and to control their kids and their roommates. And, uh, but the problem is there's a, there's a federal law, which is we shorten into the acronym FERPA. Uh, FERPA means that uh, college officials have to interact with the student if they're of age, if they're 18. And we only can talk to the parents about different lifestyle decisions that the students make, uh, their room and their board. We can only talk to them if the, the student gives us permission. Uh, so we would have, uh, every once in a while, I'd have these agitated parents who, who wanted to be involved and make the decisions of their kids' life, and the kids hadn't signed their rights, and, and I, so I couldn't talk to them. Helicoptering, it's being overprotective. It's not understanding as our kids get older, I think we have to move in our role from maybe starting out as an authoritarian. When your kids are little, Yes, you do need to protect them. They're not equipped. They're not, they don't have the, the intelligence to make all the decisions, to think about the future and make the decisions that are in their best interest. But as they grow, I think we have to move from the authoritarian to more of a coach and, and then more of an advisor. And ultimately, our goal is for our kids to, to be godly and developed in the point where we can come alongside and be more like friends than parents. Uh, That's the goal. And and I think if we uh, give in to that urge, maybe some of us it's more uh, prevailing than others. If we give in to that urge to overly protect, to helicopter over our kids and make all the decisions for them, if we do that, it it will eventually exasperate them. It'll eventually drive them crazy. Now, what happens when kids get exasperated. What happens when you provoke your kids to anger over and over? They become bitter. They rebel. They perhaps even leave home or the uh, relationship becomes estranged. We we don't want to do that. Don't helicopter your children, dad. It will exasperate them. The third, I would say you can exasperate your children if you play favorites. Favoritism. 
will exasperate your kids. That is a difficult thing for us sometimes, especially I mean, if you have more than one child. They have different personalities. It's amazing how they grow up in the same house, uh, but they, because of their genetic makeup, uh, because maybe their birth order has something to do with it, but the kids can be very different and grew up in the same house with the same parents. Uh, when that happens, you're naturally going to connect. You're going to relate to some children's personalities more than others. But friends, make, don't make the mistake of playing favorites. We can see that in the biblical story of Isaac and Rebecca. Isaac and Rebecca had uh, twin sons. By the way, I, I saw a story in the paper today, the Kansas City paper of a couple in Kansas City that has three sets of twins under the age of two, two and under. Can you imagine the diapers? Can you imagine? Oh, my goodness. I, it would be, I'd have to bring like five people in to help with that, right? I mean, I, I think four uh, kids is the perfect number for us because we each had two hands. You know, that's two times two. Twins. So we have Isaac and Rebecca. They're blessed with Esau and Jacob. Esau and Jacob, it says that Isaac favored Esau and Rebekah favored <clears throat> Jacob. And we see that from that, these two twin brothers became bitter enemies because of the favoritism of their parents, because they treated them differently. As I say, you click with different personalities more than others, but you sure can equally love your kids. You sure can give them equal attention. You can, I think, refrain from being impartial if it becomes a priority. You can love them just as much. You relate to them differently, but you can love each of them just as much. And even more, it's important to do that. It's vital to do that so they don't become exasperated. And I would say to you, even the one who perceives to be the favorite actually can become exasperated, I think, if they understand that they are being treated differently. Uh, lastly, uh, I would think you exasperate your kids by discouragement. By discouragement. And that is that you are always telling them what they do wrong. You're always picking at what they don't get right. Instead of ever complimenting, ever praising them for the things they do. A Christian author named Haim Ganat wrote this. A child learns what he lives if he lives with constant criticism, he does not learn responsibility. He learns to condemn himself and to find fault with others. He learns to doubt his own judgment, to disparage his own ability, and to distrust others. And above all, he learns to live with a continual expectation of impending doom. Basically, I'd paraphrase that to say this. If we always are on about the negative, if we always are critical that's all our kids hear, then they're going to develop a negative view of the world around them and a negative self-image. All of us, I think, need positive affirmation. Some of us more than others. If you're familiar with the book, Five Love Languages, one of the love languages is words of affirmation. Those kids need it even more. I've heard it said, and it's probably about right, you should... Say five positive things to someone for every negative thing you say. And listen, all of us can do better with this. I bring not today words of condemnation, but I hope they are words of conviction. 
Because if a child, fathers, if you are constantly discouraging them, speaking critical words, it's going to lead to this exasperation, this bitterness, this frustration that we're talking about. The sister book, if you will, to Ephesians, Paul wrote both these letters from a Roman jail. Uh, If you study Ephesians, you also probably should study parallel to it, a study of Colossians. There are a lot of verses that run parallel to each other. Uh, Colossians 3.21 kind of echoes this, uh, th- this teaching about discouragement. It says, uh, <clears throat> Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. It says that's the result. Uh, they'll be discouraged, but I think it, it actually goes both ways. If you discourage them, they'll become bitter. If you constantly criticize, uh, they'll rebel. And they'll be exasperated. They'll be stirred up. They'll be provoked to anger. Let's not be guilty of that, dads. Then we turn the page to three positive teachings, three positive things we can do as we parent our kids, dads. First, it says, do nurture your children. Do nurture your children. Now, our verse said, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. When I'm talking about nurture, I'm talking about bring them up. You might not know this, but if you look in Ephesians 5.29 and you look at Ephesians 6.4, the same Greek word is there in both verses. But the context is a little different. In fact, it might seem totally different. In Ephesians 5.29, we talked about this last week. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care. That is the word in Greek, ektrephi. Ektrephi, do not, they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. In English, it means to nurture. And then Ephesians 6, 4 says, instead bring them up. It's ektrephi. What does that mean? It does not mean, husbands, don't hear me saying this. It does not mean you're to raise your wife. That's not what I'm saying. But it does mean just as you need to look out for, just as you need to to physically and spiritually and emotionally nurture your wife, so also as you have kids, you need to physically and spiritually and emotionally nurture them. It doesn't come natural to a lot of men. After all, we're more steel than velvet. We're more about what gets done than how we feel. But it's needed just the same. This nurturing, this ability to to express gentleness with your actions and with your words, with your children, vital. Nurture them. Help them to grow. Help them to grow up. And uh, the, po- the positive is uh, they will develop a healthy self-esteem. They'll, they'll be able to express, especially if you're raising boys, uh, they'll be able to express that for their wives and their kids as they grow up. The opposite is also true. If we don't do these things, if we don't nurture them, then it can lead to a rupture in relationship. It can lead to disgrace. Thirdly, I think the third instruction uh, to us as fathers, the third instruction to us to be biblical fathers that make a difference in the lives of our kids is do discipline your children. Do discipline your children. 
Our verse said, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training. Training actually means discipline. You know, as Christians, we want to become disciples of Jesus. You see there the same root, discipline, disciple. Well, how do you become a disciple? You put into practice the spiritual disciplines. You train in godliness. Those are all synonymous. And so when we're talking about training, we're talking about disciplining our kids. But make no mistake, there's a difference between discipline and punishment. Uh, Both uh, happen sometime in the home. One is greatly preferred over the other. What do I mean by that? Punishment, the purpose of punishment is to bring a penalty. The purpose of punishment is to cause shame to that person. Whereas discipline is, the purpose of it is to, to help them look forward, to shape them for the future, to be more godly. Very clear difference in the intent, very clear difference in the carrying out of the punishment. But make no mistake, we need to discipline our kids. Proverbs 13, 24, perhaps you've heard quoted before, perhaps you've heard quoted a lot before. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. You know, in the New Living Translation, it says, if you refuse to discipline your children, it proves that you don't love them. If you love your children, you will be prompt to discipline them. Much like I was saying, you interact with different kids, different punishments work. Different, uh, excuse me, disciplines work, not punishments, right? Disciplines. Uh, What works one best for one maybe doesn't work for the other now i'm telling you i don't think this verse is saying uh, that you use it as a basis as a biblical proof text that you need to to spank every child because i don't don't think spanking works with every child now it worked with me i I needed spanking a lot but different children it does it doesn't work so well uh, you have to figure out, I think, what motivates a child. For ha- some of them, maybe taking their allowance works really well, where spanking wouldn't be such a positive result. Uh, maybe for others of them, especially as they get a little older, taking their phones is like the kiss of death, right? That'll change any behavior if you take their phones or you take their internet. I mean, you, you figure out what works, but make no mistake, parents are God-given responsibility if we truly love and care about the development of our kids we're going to discipline them if you don't believe that verse in proverbs hebrews 12 says this beginning with verse 5 have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his sons Uh, son it says my son do not make light of the lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the lord disciplines the one he loves And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? In other words, the writer of Hebrews can't even imagine parents not caring enough, parents not being invested enough to bring discipline when it's needed. If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Discipline different children in the ways that work with that individual child. But make no mistake, our responsibility as dads 
is to grow not first and most happy children. It's to grow godly children. And discipline is a part of that. Finally, do instruct your children. Do instruct your children. Now, you can teach your kids all kinds of things. Uh, You know, in the worship room today before the first service, uh, we were talking about, uh, somehow this question came up. I don't know how it came up. Uh, What do you call a group of squirrels? Not a second grade classroom. What do you call a group of squirrels? It's a scurry. Isaac asked his phone, and that's what it said. A scurry of squirrels. Now, you know that, right? What are you going to do with it? You don't need to teach your kids that, right? But the modifier here is absolutely essential. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of whom? Of the Lord. It is absolutely vital for us to take up that spiritual coaching, that spiritual modeling role. Absolutely vital. You know, several years ago, I read a study of the kids who grew up with an active uh, love for the Lord, a passionate love for the Lord themselves. They came from either one of two type of homes, either a home where there was no church involvement, there was no spirituality taught, or a home where the parents were passionate and vibrant about the Lord and their faith, and they, it oozed from them. It, it, you could see it in the way they lived out their lives. They did not come from homes that were kind of apathetic, kind of, we'll go to church and talk about the Lord every once in a while. It's a vital insight for us to get fathers, that our kids, they need to see our love, our priority for the Lord, as well as be taught verbally our love, our priority for the Lord. It is absolutely crucial, absolutely crucial that we let the Holy Spirit lead us as we father, that we have an ongoing, growing relationship with the Lord ourselves. You know, the very last verse of the Old Testament is Malachi 4.6. In it, uh, Malachi writes and, and prophesies that John the Baptist will come, and it turned out to be in about 400 years. John the Baptist will come, and he will do this. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. You know, uh, Luke 1.17 echoes this verse, and it says, instead of he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children, it says, they will have a mind for, they will devote themselves to righteousness again. That is having a relationship with the Lord. But I, I find great hope in this verse. Fathers, you perhaps hear today that there are things you need to change. I think it starts with your own personal walk with the Lord and then turning your hearts to your kids. Maybe you've been thinking about the things you messed up. Turn your hearts to the kids. It's Every day is a new day. Yes, maybe you've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. But turn your hearts, prioritize your kids, prioritize your walk with the Lord, and it can greatly improve. You still can have that kind of powerful relationship. A parable is told about three fathers who each felt the soft hand of his child in his own and realized the responsibility of teaching his child about God. The first father felt the awesome responsibility that was his, so he taught the child about the power and might of God. 
as he walked down the pathway of life and came to the tall trees in the forest, he pointed up to them and said, God made them, and God can cause them to come crashing down any time he wants to. As they walked in the hot sun, he said, this is God's sun. He made it, and he can cause it to be so hot and so intense that the plants in the field will wither and die. Again and again, he hammered home the power of God and how the child must be obedient to God. Then one day they came face to face with God and the child hid behind his father, afraid even to look, refusing to put his hand into the hand of God. The second father also realized his responsibility to teach his child about God. Hurriedly, he tried to teach all the important lessons he knew. As they looked at the trees, they only stopped for a moment to gaze at them. As they looked at the flowers of the field, they hurried on by. I mean, they had to keep their schedule. He told stories, but they, too, were jumbled all together because he was in such a race to get on with it. He filled the child full of facts, but he never taught him how to live or love God. Finally, one day at twilight, they came face to face with God. But the child only gave God a casual glance and then walked away. The third father felt the tiny touch in his hand, and he adjusted his steps to the little baby steps of the child. They walked along, stopping to look at all of God's beauty and grandeur. They walked in the fields and picked the flowers. They felt the delicate petals and smelled their fragrance. They watched a bird in flight and another building her nest and laying her eggs and sitting on them until they hatched. They watched all of the beauties of nature while their father told, uh, while the father told his child stories about God over and over again. Finally, one day in the twilight, they saw the face of God. And without hesitation, the child placed his hand trustingly into the hand of his heavenly father. I'm going to tell you, dads, you cannot make that faith decision for your kids. But if you love Jesus, if you live for Jesus, your kids will have a model that they most likely one day will emulate. We can make a difference, but it it calls for laser focus. It calls for a personal walk with Jesus it calls for our priorities being evident Father as we think about these things I believe all the fathers here want to be difference makers all of us want to have a positive impact on our kids all of us want them to grow up to be good people godly people but we're fallible We're imperfect. I pray today, Lord, you've convicted us of where we need to change. I pray that you'll lead us going forward. Help us to know it is a new day. Despite the mistakes we've made, perhaps even the destruction we've caused, you can bring healing. You can bring renewal. Help us to be dads that puts you first, that live for you and prioritize our kids and their training, their instruction, 
their nurture. Help us, Lord, not to exasperate them. Help us to father them like you would. We pray in Jesus' name.